0: Hey everyone, I'm Lewis Mallet, welcome to the podcast. This episode was originally recorded on one of my live streams. If you wanna watch or listen to more of my content, please follow me on the various social media channels. Please leave a review, subscribe, and I hope you enjoy it. Awesome, we are live. Everyone, thank you so much for tuning in again. Uh, Today, I thought we'd talk about anxiety. There's been so much stuff going on in the world right now, so many external factors affecting people's mental health and and all of that stuff. So I've invited Mel Crate from We Are Luminate to come in and speak to me. We've done two podcasts already together. She's really, really cool, and she does a lot of work in this space. So let me patch Mel in. Mel, thanks for joining me. Hi.
1: Good afternoon. How are you?
0: very good thanks how are you
1: yeah very well thank you good so
0: are you in your you're in your living room right now
1: K- to dining slash kitchen kind of one room yeah we're coordinating with my husband trying to make the working from home work
0: nice we're we, were, we were speaking about it before but how have you found how have you found it so i know you, you've you've enjoyed the kind of the, the routine of like going into work and then home and
1: Yeah, it's been okay. You know, you you adapt, don't you? I think at first, from a business perspective as well, we were busy just trying to transfer all of our our work onto a virtual medium. So I felt we were kind of thrown into that. That took up a lot of time and energy. And yeah, over time, you get used to working from home. It's not my preference, and I'll be looking forward to when we can go back into an office or back out to see clients again. Um, But, you know, I think in terms of our setup here, we're okay, you know we well, there are people in much more challenging um, scenarios I have to say so I think yeah we're doing all right
0: great and all of your work I know you've been delivering a uh, mental health and well-being workshops mm. is all like seamlessly gone online now
1: I have to say much better than I expected it's been yeah really interesting transition at first you know, the online platform, it can be a bit dry, you have to put a lot more energy into it. Um, but the feedback we've had is, have re- has really exceeded my expectations in so many ways, which has been lovely. And I found that the sessions, I think particularly at the moment, really seem to resonate with people. And I think they're a really welcome break in people's day, and um, where otherwise they're kind of at home all day, obviously, many yeah. people working and living on their own. So that's been really nice. And Yeah, we've just we've adapted. You know, you find ways to make it interactive and engaging still, despite the kind of virtual platform, and that's been really nice. So it has gone much much better than I I thought it would. I have to say,
0: that's really cool. That's really cool. It's quite interesting as well because I speak to like lots of different people, and everyone seems to have had a very different like lockdown experience. You know, some are like thriving and, and really enjoying it. Others have been super anxious with everything that's going on. Right, so like virus. Um, maybe the, the myth of job security or whatever, uh, whatever thing else is going on. It'd be great to start with, like, what is anxiety exactly?
1: Yeah, good question. And I think you're right in that people have reacted really differently to it. And I think obviously, it partly will depend on your setup and uh, your your home and your work life. And I think there were lots of people that kind of kicked into productivity and baking around the clock and taking yeah. up new hobbies and crafts and that's wonderful. Other people have also really struggled and felt also that pressure to be productive all of the time um, because yeah. we essentially at home and we have more time, which is, yeah, which is interesting. Anxiety is a natural human response. We all have it, it keeps us alive, it's really important. So it's the body's response to any kind of perceived threat externally. Right. Um, and I think why obviously people are feeling it at the moment For the most part, particularly in the Western world, the threats we experience or the real life threatening experiences are very limited for us day to day. That's not something we really have to worry about. Most of us have shelter. We live quite safe and secure lives for the most part. And obviously with um, COVID-19 and the pandemic that's been around, I think we felt a real threat to that, which is probably the first time for many of us in our lives where we felt a threat on that scale that actually, leaving the house doing our day-to-day activities going to the supermarket now poses what feels like a very real threat which i think is why people are experiencing much more anxiety than usual if that makes yes. sense
0: so it's a normal response if we're uh, in the wild being chased by a lion or something like that and and in our in our safe environments certainly in london we, we don't really have that threat um, mm. Yeah, it's interesting.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting. So absolutely that, you know, we spent most of our time actually on this planet as hunter-gatherers. So our brains and our bodies evolved really to suit that environment where we did face a lot of life-threatening scenarios, like you said, wild animals coming at us. So our bodies developed this response to keep us safe. So it's super important. The problem is our bodies and our brains, they can't distinguish between a real life-threatening scenario and more of a kind of mental threat, which is why people experience day-to-day anxiety anyway, around workplace deadlines, disputes, conflicts, social situations, lots of obviously different things that might trigger people's anxiety but now we've obviously got those day-to-day things that might cause us stress but then coupled with the pandemic which feels much more of a life-threatening scenario and I think that's where people are experiencing quite high levels of anxiety. How do we know if we have it? If you well, and so, so there's a difference between obviously experiencing anxiety or that day to day anxiety, which we will all experience at, at some point. So, for example, if you're walking out into the street and you go to step out, and a bike comes zooming past you, that will create a fight or flight response, which is essentially yeah. what anxiety is. But an anxiety disorder is when anxiety um, is gets to the point where it's impacting your day-to-day life it becomes harder to carry out your work activities social activities impacts your relationships it's when you tend um, to experience quite unrealistic or excessive fears on a constant basis where um, some of your thought patterns become quite distorted so things like catastrophizing ruminating and you find it hard really hard to move on from those thought patterns that's when you might be experiencing an anxiety disorder, and that could be the time for then professional support. Okay. Um, and that, yeah, that's it. That's generally the distinction. But we will all experience anxiety <coughs> at some point, even every day, and it doesn't necessarily need to be a problem for us, or doesn't obviously turn into a mental illness. Fine. So, it's, so it's, okay. And then, so you do, a lot of people get that feeling in your stomach, right, where
0: you're a little bit anxious to do a pitch or. Um, go to the gym or, or mm. whatever it might be, um, yeah, and it very feels
1: a response.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, and it feels like there's a, a fine line between between that and, and 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 the disorder, where it can be, I think, quite debilitating and and mm. restrictive and stuff like that. I guess it's it's just appreciating for, in yourself maybe when you've when you've crossed that line or.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it can be hard to do. And we, you know, we generally try and discourage kind of self-diagnosis. But yeah, anxiety is a very physical response. So initially, you'll feel it in your body. People describe heart palpitations, you know, sweating palms, feeling hotter, your breathing usually gets quicker and uh, more shallow. You might experience, for example, that Those butterflies in your stomachs, or feeling of nausea, tightness in the chest—all of those are kind of signs. Again, that's your body going into a fight or flight mode. That's when our sympathetic nervous system is activated, and that puts us into fight or flight mode. So those are signs that you're experiencing some level of anxiety. Again, if your day-to-day life is kind of categorised by that, if you feel um, that sense of panic quite frequently, and there, there are different types also of anxiety disorders. So we have generalized anxiety disorder we have panic disorder phobias there are different types of that which is why again it can be quite complex we would always recommend if you find anxiety is really affecting your day-to-day life so if you're finding it hard to work because of anxious thoughts because that physical response or you're finding it hard to engage in social activities that's the time I, I would look to get professional support and then you might be able to receive a proper diagnosis and get the hopefully the treatment that you need
0: yeah well one thing i've 've spoken to a lot of managers and leaders and stuff and the real The real challenge right now is with all the zoom calls um, you know mm. people want to take care of their of their team they want to look out for their team members and it, people find it very hard to to find out how people are really feeling over over a video call yeah. um, and if people don 't have their videos on as well you 're just getting in the audio it's really quite difficult to make sure that your team are okay um, are you seeing any any companies or any of your clients doing like great things to to enable them to identify how people are feeling yeah. and the anxiety yeah
1: it's a good question actually and what's really interesting what we've seen is that um actually it really shows the companies that put in the work beforehand. And we talk about this with resilience from an individual perspective as well. Often people come to think about how to build resilience when they get to the point where they're unwell or they're really struggling or they feel overwhelmed by stress. We want to try and put in that work proactively so that when we need it, it's there to draw upon. And it's the same with companies. If you've built up a resilient company, if you've built up a company culture where there is that sense of openness, where there's a sense of trust, where there is a culture that feels really stable and secure for people, this is the time I think where it's really paid off for those companies because people can have those open discussions about how they're feeling, about what they're struggling with, about how they're coping generally and there is already that level of trust there. Trying to build that up on these platforms is really difficult and I think like you said, we're trying to communicate via video calls, that's hard to do, we can't where lots of people turn their videos off or don't like having their videos on we can't read people's expressions it's yeah. really difficult it's so it's so different to seeing people face to face every day we can pick up those little changes in behavior or just yeah. generally how people are doing it's much harder to do via these platforms so I'd say obviously yeah. it's never too late to start that kind of work but trying to create a culture of openness and obviously the various things you can do to to try and do that is so important and that's the kind of work that companies should be doing on a regular basis so that in the very unlikely event that something like this happens they're prepared right they have um, the culture in place that allows people to feel that sense of security to feel supported and to feel like they can talk about what they're going through which I think is a really important part of it.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. They need to be able to say, like, hey, I'm, I'm feeling anxious or I'm not mm. feeling okay. Can you help me? It's a hard thing to do to ask for help and to admit that you're going through those things. Certainly, I think. Thing. Yeah. And, and even, I think, certainly now as well, like, you don't, I like mean, most people are working at home and mm. everyone's in a different scenario at home. It's, it's a hard thing. And to identify it um, in your team members and your coworkers is often hard anyway. Um,
1: yeah, tight. but now it's
0: you know it's, it's quite a tough thing to do so yeah it's good to see some companies um like put these mechanisms in place um there's a lot yeah. of the you know like virtual quizzes beers like all of those yeah. things but I mean again like that often also adds to the anxiety because I think you get yeah. you think about you but I'm quite tired <laughs> I'm quite tired of like the constant video and
1: yeah, the Zoom fatigue, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of people are feeling like that. And absolute yeah. that pressure to kind of have your video on all the time. People have got different yeah. things going on in their personal life. Some obviously people have children at home and they're trying to navigate family life at the same time. And they don't necessarily feel like they want to be on a video call all of the time. And we definitely try and encourage it some of the time, you know, where you would usually be in a face-to-face scenario with people in a meeting perhaps Um, and we try and encourage it for some of our training as well just so that obviously we can see people as we would if we were in the room with them there Uh, but understanding also that not everyone feels comfortable with it and like you said it can also trigger anxiety in some people and so it's it's giving people the option and again the space to to say if something's wrong and I think we've come a long way in breaking down that stigma in recent years. There's still a long way to go, don't get me wrong, but yeah. I think it's certainly better than it was. And I think more people are starting to feel a bit more comfortable in coming out and talking about the fact they might be struggling in some way. Whereas I yeah. think five, 10 years ago, it just wasn't something you could say at work.
0: No, no, I'm, I'm hoping that the, the 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 new normal, so with like video and technology at the heart mm. of our working lives now, doesn't slow that down but it encourages it because i think uh i don't know whether it's harder face-to-face or or over video to 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 speak to someone about that i'm not i'm not Mm. really sure um it's yeah it's a
1: tough one i think it depends on the individual as well it it is really hard i think it can be difficult in both scenarios and sometimes we suggest like if you're trying to have that conversation with someone like going for a walk is quite nice because you're standing kind of side by side there's not that intense face-to-face um interaction which some people can find very intense so there are kind of different ways of approaching it but obviously with video you're quite limited in in how you do that so I think it can be tough
0: yeah I've been doing some walk and talk meetings in the city which have been really fun yeah because I I'm, I've, enjoyed, I've enjoyed working at home, but I'm, I'm, I'm very much an extrovert and I get a lot of energy from um, seeing people face-to-face. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the video calls reminds me that I'm missing the face-to-face interaction. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> um, when the government let me, um, I've uh, I'm certain, and for people who have been living in and around London and for some mm-hmm. of my team members, I've been doing like a little uh, walk around London, a little coffee, which has made yeah. me feel really good. Because when you're moving, you just, I feel great, you know, mm. better than sitting all day at home because I'm yeah. finding, you know, you like roll out of bed, you start working. People aren't yeah. respecting your kind of, your work and your home time anymore. It's just.
1: Mm. It can all blur into one and there's very little separation, yeah. I think, which is really hard.
0: Yeah, yeah. So no, it's Yeah it's getting used to that is interesting why one thing I've really been interested to understand Mm. is why why some people suffer more than others um yeah there's been much work done on that
1: good question um so definitely it really depends on your what we call vulnerability level essentially and there are lots of different things that impact that so everything from you know how you were raised even back to when you were a baby and how you were cared for by your primary caregivers will in some way impact the development of your brain and that impacts to how you can tolerate stress um, when you're older as an adult. And so um, everyone will have a different tolerance to that. So particularly people who have experienced some kind of trauma in life. So that might be neglect, abuse of some kind, um, or as an adult, there might be traumatic events that you experience they will in some way shape your ability to deal with stress later on in life and so some yeah. of us will quite have quite a high tolerance if we haven't been through a huge amount of traumatic or difficult experiences if we had a very safe and secure upbringing and um, we will probably generally find it easier to tolerate that ambiguity the uncertainty the stress of the situation and there are also lots of other things that will affect your vulnerability level you know your home setup if you feel like you have a harmonious home life situation, if you feel like you've got enough space, if you are not suffering from food insecurity or where your next meal is going to come from, if you feel your job is safe and secure, if you're in a stable um, relationship at home, for example, if you have generally good lifestyle practices that help you take care of yourself, all of those things will play into it. But recognising that some of it is really beyond our control, there's lots of research to show that what we experience in, in early life does very much shape our brains in particular. Um, the amygdala, which is what governs that stress, that fight or flight response. And um, as research to show that people who experienced early life trauma, so like be, uh, before the age of three, Um, have often have an overactive amygdala. So their fight or flight response is triggered much more frequently. So for them, that's gonna be really difficult to manage the uncertainty of this situation. And they will probably experience more stress and anxiety because of that. So it's not always within our control um, to an extent. Obviously there are things we can do to try and manage it, but um, yeah, it just totally depends on, on your life experiences and your vulnerability level.
0: Interesting. I've always thought that if you do hard, tough things, it it kind of makes you a bit more, like build your resilience and and makes you able to cope with things a a bit better.
1: Mm. Um, And that can certainly help, definitely. I do think that builds your resilience. You know, there are lots of things we can do individually to help build up our resilience levels and actually pushing kind of through the mental limits that sometimes we set ourselves or, or set in our brain can actually really help us then draw upon that strength during times of difficulty. But there are lots of other things at play. And yet some of it, as I said, kind of beyond yeah. what we can control in an adult life.
0: Yeah. So a lot's a lot's uncontrollable. Obviously, I can't help my DNA. I can't help my parents uh, bring it how they brought me up. Mm. I can control how who I surround myself with. That's for mm. sure. Um, what, to an what, extent.
1: Like, bearing in to an extent. Lives, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, to an extent. Or, you know, if there are unproductive people around you, I mean, it's, it's often hard to, but, you know, getting them out of your lives out of your life could help but are there any are there any tools that you can use to help control it?
1: Mm, Yeah definitely there are lots of things you can do and obviously making the distinction again between an anxiety disorder which generally needs professional intervention to that kind of day-to-day anxiety which we will all experience. What we want to try and learn to do is engage what we call the parasympathetic nervous system which is the other component to the nervous system. So when we go into fight or flight mode we've generally activated the sympathetic nervous system, and that's that heart racing, palpitations, short breathing, um, feeling hot, all of that. those those physiological changes. The parasympathetic nervous system is putting us in what we also describe as rest and digest mode. So it's really calming the nervous system down. Um, So obviously different things will make different people feel relaxed. We often teach some kind of relaxation, breathing techniques, even just regulating your breathing, particularly when you're feeling that kind of sense of panic. When you yeah. feel the heart racing, palms sweating, that's a really good time to try and regulate your breathing. So it can just be something as simple as breathing into a slow count of four, breathing out to a slow count of six. So having an extended exhale, that really helps engage the parasympathetic yeah. system. And um, anything relaxing like that, relaxation, visualization exercises can be really effective as well. Um, yeah. And understanding the different thinking patterns that your brain falls into as well that's something that sometimes we teach in our sessions of understanding what catastrophizing looks like we have things like black and white thinking or filtering where we amplify the negatives we filter out all the positives and we kind of fixate on those which is a natural human response as well we all have a negativity bias based on are helping us survive again um, so when we're recognizing we're falling into those thinking patterns and this is something actually that's taught in CBT so cognitive behavioral therapy very much deals on trying to rationalize some of those anxious thoughts that we experience it's recognizing when it happens and this is again something that's taught also through a mindfulness practice of becoming a bit more familiar with the inner experience and what's going through our minds because sometimes we don't notice until it kind of gets too late where we're in full panic mode almost. We yeah. want to try and catch that early of noticing those patterns of falling into, that's me catastrophizing again, or there I am filtering. And when we can kind of catch ourselves doing it, we can start yeah. to then rationalize and think, you know, what's the likelihood of this thing I'm fearing actually happening? And yeah. we do what we we call it filling in the blanks. So when there's kind of uncertainty, we kind of jump to the worst case scenario. We kind of fill in the blanks for what might potentially happen And it's always usually worse than what will actually happen. If we kind of reflect back on the things that we worried about, very few of them actually come true. So it's noticing, again, when we're doing that, when we're filling in the blanks with scenarios that are unlikely to actually happen. And again, just trying to think a bit more rationally about What's the likelihood of those things actually happening? Sometimes if people are struggling with that on a constant basis, we kind of get them to write down all of those thoughts that they're experiencing, try to identify what are the facts of a situation there, not just our fears or assumptions of what might happen, but what are the facts that we know that and what we can control. And then we try and get them to focus on the things they can control rather than what's out of their control. So, again, yeah. it's things that might help them when they're feeling very overwhelmed. That just might be going for a walk. It might be investing in their health in a different way, trying to get enough sleep, good nutrition, all of the things that we know also help us. Those are the things we can control. What happens with the pandemic and the virus and wider society, we have no control over.
0: Very true. So it's it's. uh it's it's how you think about what you think about that's that's really important because all yeah, of yeah
1: essentially
0: yeah because I mean all, all of these things are going on and and we can't help the pandemic we can't help the economy anything like that so yeah I mean for me I'm I try I'm trying to do I try and do a bit of yoga I do my exercise a lot I'm walking a lot I'm trying to keep my diet good. Like these kinds of things, um, I've not done mindfulness. How? How? I know you're quite into mindfulness. Do you? Do you find mm. that has a really good, uh, big impact?
1: Yes, certainly. Again, it's not necessarily a practice to come to at a point where you feel really overwhelmed or really anxious because it can be quite hard to engage with. So again, it's very much what we call a proactive preventative strategy for looking after your mental health but it can be so useful in many ways people often think of it as a relaxation technique which that can certainly be one of the outcomes which is wonderful but it also just helps you create much better awareness of what's going on for you and that's both mentally and physically so when we talk about that physical stress or anxiety response of heart palpitations tight chest etc again sometimes we only notice that's happening to us until we're kind of in full fight or flight mode actually if we learn to tune into our body a bit more and, and notice what's happening physically we get those signs a bit earlier and actually we know we need to take a step back practice our breathing do whatever we need to do to calm us down again and the same with our thoughts it's so easy to spiral into a kind of black hole of rumination and overthinking and with mindfulness again all you're doing is creating awareness of what's going on both in your thoughts in your mind and in your physical body and that can really help you start to notice those patterns and throughout the practice as well of mindfulness what you're teaching is disengaging from some of those thought patterns I see. during a formal mindfulness practice what you're guided to do is each time your mind wanders off and starts thinking about something else You try and notice, obviously, when that's happening, and you bring your focus back to whatever you're focusing on in the present moment, whether that's your breath or your physical body. And through doing that time and time again, what you're teaching your brain to do is learning to disengage from those thoughts when they come up, of noticing, okay, that's my brain catastrophizing again. I can let that go. I can come back to the present moment. And it stops that spiraling, or it certainly helps with that spiraling that sometimes we fall into, if that makes sense. Yeah,
0: so what's, what's the first step then? So if you if you have anxiety and you've never had treatment, you've never spoken to anyone about it, um, is it going to your GP, um, uh, going to the, I know you can get help through the
1: NHS. Um, yeah, what, what so, the, certainly if you think you've got an anxiety disorder, so if, again, anxiety is really becoming a part of your everyday life, affecting your everyday life, your work, etc. GP is definitely the first port of call. Um, just to point out, our GPs aren't always the best equipped to deal with mental health. Unfortunately, at the moment, we have a situation where they haven't really received sufficient training um, and a lot of We've heard of a lot of experiences where people don't feel they've been taken seriously. They haven't been offered um, effective treatments and they don't really feel their GP understands what they're going through or they experience misdiagnosis or lack of diagnosis. And it really is the kind of they have a, a manual, so called BFM, which outlines all of the different mental illnesses that people might have they work from that they'll ask you a set of questions and then they'll diagnose off the back of that some right. of them you know it's a real mixed bag some GPs will be really invested in this area and obviously really empathetic as well and you might have a really positive experience but unfortunately that's not the experience for everyone so
0: right. if you
1: do go to a GP and you don't feel that you have had um fair or thorough treatment you can always ask to see a different doctor and it sometimes does take a couple of visits until you can uh, feel until you feel like you've been given the right diagnosis and treatment plan. And again, resources with the NHS can be sparse. So ideally, most people would be offered some kind of talking therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, maybe counseling. It's expensive, and again, um, the NHS is overstretched there. So the first port of call is often medication, what you would be offered by your GP which works for some people and helps some people, doesn't help everybody. Um, So it often is a bit of experimentation. Obviously, if you have the means to seek that out privately, that can certainly help. Some people's companies or organizations offer something in that area too. So it's always worth kind of exploring those benefits where you work, Um, as sometimes not everyone gets the right treatment plan for them on the NHS
0: right so do most most people then start with the gp or are there other other coping mechanisms that you can you can try on your own like the mindfulness maybe yoga exercise
1: it depends how severe it is really um so if it feels very severe to you so if you're feeling you're you're experiencing kind of moderate to severe anxiety some of those kind of lifestyle interventions or self-care interventions aren't always effective you're kind of Beyond that point, to be honest. For some people, that will work. And it might be, as you said, a case of trying things like mindfulness, exercise, breathing techniques, and that can certainly help. But for some people, if you're experiencing quite severe anxiety, you probably feel you, you might really struggle to engage with those, yeah. even um, simply kind of exercising or getting out and about. You might really struggle to do that. So if you feel that you're struggling to engage with those kind of interventions, then it's probably a professional seeing your GP, private psychiatrist or, or um, some kind of talking therapist is probably the next port of call.
0: Okay. If, we, if we've if we identified that a team member has anxiety or, um, you know, colleague or whatever, what how can you approach it with them?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. It's something we cover quite a lot of actually and we get asked a lot about. Right. Um, and really important that we can have these open conversations because I think that sometimes we feel awkward, we don't know what to say, we don't want to say the wrong thing so we don't say anything at all and obviously that we're not really addressing the problem and that person doesn't really get the support they need. Um, So certainly having an open conversation with them is the first start and sometimes it's a case of asking how they are Um, but sometimes we have a kind of blanket response to that of I'm fine or I'm okay even when we're not really because that's kind of what we're programmed to do so it might be a case of kind of pointing out to them that you've noticed a change in them in some way like you're not quite yourself at the moment is everything okay or I've noticed you've been a bit withdrawn is everything okay and it just gives them opportunity to realize the 1st you've noticed that there's something maybe going on there gives them another opportunity to kind of open up um and again giving them plenty of chances to talk so we don't want to force or coerce them into talking about something they don't feel comfortable with but making sure there is a lot of opportunity then that you're you're asking beyond the everyday how are you questions. So just so that they feel that you do actually care and want to hear how they are. Um, The key point in those situations if someone does open up for you is not to try and kind of fix their problems in any way because that isn't our job and we're certainly not equipped or qualified to do that and we come from a very kind of problem solving society if someone comes yeah. to us with a problem we like to solve it for them and that's always yeah. comes from a good place but yeah. in this scenario not particularly helpful so <laughs> in our case what we want to do is, is listen to them just give them a platform and we don't have to interject with our own experiences or talking about our neighbor or cousin who had anxiety or anything else we just want to give them the opportunity to talk and share their own experience we can signpost then at that point to professional help if they haven't already received that there are also lots of great resources out there from helplines and support groups and things that are run by amazing charities and organizations if people do hit a bit of a brick wall with the nhs so that's also an option and then thinking about what do we how do we support them from a workplace perspective? What does that look yeah. like? So again, we're not trying to fix or solve their problems. We're just trying to make it easier for them to do their jobs with what they might be experiencing at that time. So that might be certain workplace adjustments that we make for them, um, making sure they feel supported in that way and that we're having those kind of regular check-ins and open conversations, check there's no kind of workplace triggers that are affecting them as well, looking at how we can minimise those. But making sure we do have those conversations that we don't just ignore it. If we feel like someone's struggling in some way, we're not obviously trying to diagnose in any way, so it's not up to us to say, I think you've got... An anxiety disorder or whatever it might be it's just again trying to signpost them to the point where they can actually get the help they need um, okay. and trying to resolve that ourselves if that makes sense
0: yeah, yeah definitely so rather than just being like hey how are you doing maybe asking a question like um how are you in, how are you finding working from home mm. um, maybe what's a scenario like um
1: yeah um, lots of open questions
0: yeah i think things like that and then it's in terms of like building your workplace. So, is there anything specific that that, that companies can do to enable the certainly this virtual environment now because it, it has changed a lot mm. um, to, to make people feel comfortable talking about it? Um,
1: yeah, definitely. I mean, so the, the key thing to understand is is a lot of it will come from trust, and trust isn't something you can buy or build overnight. You know, as as you know, how you build trust in your friendships and day to day relationships, that doesn't happen overnight. That comes through investing time in people and um, showing vulnerability yourself as well. There are lots of things that obviously help to build up that trust and also things that can diminish trust at work. So when there's toxic cultures or toxic behaviours that take place that are kind of tolerated, that really breaks down the trust in a company and will probably make people feel that they can't really talk about that kind of thing. So, again, it's it's a kind of much longer term investment, because if you don't feel you've got yeah. a good, solid, trusting relationship with your manager, and then they try to talk to you about your well-being and your mental health, you're probably not likely to open up to them because you don't trust them. So those regular one-to-ones are going to be really important. And, um, again, trying to do those via video call, I think, is the next best thing at the moment, making yeah. sure that regular and that they happen. And we encourage managers as a kind of regular thing that they include is to ask people about their wellbeing in each one-to-one as kind of yes. standard practice. So it doesn't, it's not unusual anymore. It gives people again, an opportunity it shows that they do care about it, but those conversations are happening on a regular basis. And that again, will help build up that openness, that, um, willingness to talk about those things too. So and that's really where you'll spot that something might not be wrong. So in your one-to-ones, again, making sure you're asking lots of open questions, that you're giving people opportunity. The one-to-one should really be an opportunity for the employee to bring anything to the table. You'll you'll know that Lewis, that you have that um is important. So making sure as a manager you're not just talking at them the whole time, that there's plenty of opportunity for them to talk and open up. And that comes from an investment of your time. You know, you yep. can't rush through those things. If you constantly cancel your one to ones or skip them, it shows how important really you feel they are. And again, yes. that kind of thing breaks down the trust. And what you're trying to do is build it up over time. And over time, through doing that, people should feel more comfortable talking about this kind of thing. But yeah, it's not an overnight solution for sure.
0: No, no. Also, I think you need to really think about how to onboard people virtually. I'm finding mm-hmm. a, lot, a lot of people are starting a new job, never met anyone, um, you know, don't really know what the culture is like because I've never actually met anyone at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of I mean, some companies are doing it well, but it's just you don't meet anyone. You know, you've you've spoken yeah. to the people that you've interviewed with. Um, maybe there's been like a big Zoom call where everyone said, hey, how are you doing? But but if it's a new role in a new company, you've not built any friendships because, as you said, you've got to spend time with people. To make friends with them.
1: Totally yeah I think that process has to be more thorough and again I'm sure you'll know a lot about that but yeah the idea that the onboarding has to we have to think through that process in a lot more depth I think than we might usually because those interactions like you said you know by the water cooler in the kitchen they're not happening in the same way that they would and some companies are creating really fun ways to try and connect with people so we've got one company we work with they have a kind of virtual coffee room that's open like 24 7 but throughout the whole working day and people can just drop in at different points when they're taking a break and have a chat with their colleagues which is quite nice but for new starters yeah it's cool for new starters you really need to make sure I think that you're trying to include them in that and proactively kind of organizing those little casual get-togethers or coffee breaks and really trying to integrate them into the company so that they do get to know people as much as possible in the, the virtual world
0: yeah definitely because as much as as a, as a lot of people have really enjoyed working from home and plan to continue to um there's a, there's an equal number of people that are really quite keen to get back to face to face like office environment so i think the great thing that's come out will come out of this is choice but i think just people yeah. have to be mindful that you know people are human and they do need human contact and and even if you have a virtual team really making time once a week or whatever it might be to meet up I think is going to be invaluable mm-hmm. then, and certainly for people's mental health as well I think it's important yeah. the Definitely last
1: thing yeah. I want to... I a lot out of this situation sorry I was just going to say like no. they were certainly positive to come up and I think you're right When we do go back into that scenario where we're back in the office hopefully those kind of things will really be prioritized as people realize how important they are
0: yeah. The last thing I wanted to cover was yeah. how we can learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And I've talked about this a lot because there's so many things going on right now that can make you feel uncomfortable. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we've got obviously the virus, the economy, um, maybe the myth of of job security, or certainly a lot of people are, are worried about their job security if people are on furlough, there's just a lot of a lot of external things going on right now that make you feel uncomfortable. Um, mm. Any kind of advice on like how to just be comfortable being uncomfortable?
1: Yeah, no, it's a good point. And actually, it's what I found really interesting about this period is, I think this illusion of control that we have has been completely shattered you know with this idea that we can control the outcome of scenarios or what might happen in our life I think this situation has taught us actually so how so little is within our control so obviously there are things we can do personally to help ourselves but actually in terms of none of us could particularly at the beginning of lockdown we couldn't go into the office we couldn't go and meet our friends we couldn't go to the gym or do the things that we might usually do. And that has kind of pulled the rug out from underneath our feet a bit. And I think it showed us that that idea of trying to control every outcome is is futile because we can't. And that idea of uncertainty as well, I think can make us feel very uncomfortable, as you've said. And it's this idea of how do we sit with that? And we also talk about that when we discuss anxiety of this idea. Sometimes we have a bit of a mental battle where we start to experience anxiety or to be honest any kind of unpleasant feelings that we don't like and we try and mentally push it away because we don't like to experience that and actually that often makes it take a stronger hold and can actually send us into a kind of deeper state of kind of panic or anxiousness which is not what we want and sometimes it's just about allowing it to be there and that sounds Mm -hmm. much easier said than done but it's this idea of of not pushing it away, of not trying to deny that feeling of just letting it sit there, feel what it feels like in the body, feel those heart palpitations, that body temperature go up, just notice how you're feeling rather than going through this mental battle of trying to mentally push it away, which we know isn't effective and doesn't actually help people. But your tolerance to um, experiencing discomfort will again, come in that, in that work we do to build up our resilience beforehand. And it's, often about putting yourselves in scenarios that feel uncomfortable to you and we don't (laughs) like to do that like doing a live
0: show on LinkedIn or
1: (laughs) that can help but it's know we like to feel comfortable don't we we know that because we've built ourselves nice warm houses and we have nice soft beds and sofas to sit on like we like the idea of comfort we don't like to feel uncomfortable nobody wants that but actually sometimes putting yourself in scenarios that feel uncomfortable that helps you build up your tolerance and helps you yeah. draw on those previous experiences as well Of i know i survived that so i'll be okay here and yeah that can be things like doing things outside your comfort zone maybe it's public speaking for some people that struggle with that it might be um certain types of exercise that feel new for you know, anytime we, any, we attempt something new we'll probably experience a level of discomfort because it's unfamiliar to us. So it's sometimes trying something that you've not done before, whether that is learning a language or doing some kind of exercise or putting yourself out there for a project at work. It's it's those kind of things where we're really breaking through the boundaries of our current comfort levels, and that will help us draw upon those um, tools and those that resilience we've built up when we really need it at times like this, I think.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. I've I, for me, what really helps is like I've done quite a few marathons. Sounds mm. a bit like hardcore, but the training, it. the train it's it, that will do it. That does it. Like the hard thing about a marathon is the three months or so training before. Like the actual marathon at the end is like the victory lap. Yeah. But like grinding through, like oh, I've got to get up and do another run. Oh, my leg hurts. I can't be bother to get off the couch. You know, like really, like putting yourself in an uncomfortable situation. For me, running a, a business, and certainly running a business during these times, which is very challenging. I've, I've really, I really drawn all of like that, like uh, experience that I've had, of like mm-hmm. running, of like lifting heavy weights, of even like sitting in a hot sauna for twenty minutes is hard. I was actually so
1: I was going to say do an ice bath, but yeah, either one. Ice baths are too. Or like, just a blast at the end of your show, like cold water. <laughs> it's yeah. so uncomfortable. But again, you're teaching yourself to sit through that discomfort and tolerate it. Um, and it's actually it's good for your circulation, lots of other things. But you know, it is all building up that ability to just sit yeah. through discomfort rather than kind of back away from it, which we're inclined to do naturally. But yeah. over the long term, I think that will really help us.
0: Yeah. Um, and so for me, I mean, I've been doing that for years, uh, that kind of stuff. And yeah. uh, it's great. I mean, so when I do a run, for example, or I'm at the gym lifting weights. I don't think about anything else. All I'm thinking about is like, oh, I've got to lift this weight up again. Or, you know, I'm running and the running's very meditative for me. Like, mm. so, so for me, my big coping mechanism, I think, for any anxiety that might come my way is is that stuff it's like doing hard things regularly and yeah. just getting myself to do it and um, yeah it's worked for me I think it I think it works and it definitely works for me so
1: no that's great and absolutely I think it's something yeah we could all be doing on a regular basis as well and and that's what we encourage people really it's that that stuff is, is proactive it's preventative it's not waiting to the point where we feel unwell or overwhelmed it's thinking about those coping strategies building them up but finding out what works for you which will be different for each person but figuring out what they are and making sure you're doing them on a regular basis and then when you do need to draw upon that resilience it's there you've built it up and that's in a you're in a much better position then
0: definitely amazing thank you so much for chatting we've done about 45 minutes which is great
1: um
0: thank you so much for joining me again it's a Um, pleasure
1: thank you for having me
0: pleasure next time face to face in the studio yeah yeah well um yeah keep up all the great work we'll put your we'll put your company in our show notes and if anyone needs any help with 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 mental health and well-being in that workplace please get in touch with mel um and thank you so much for tuning in
1: great thanks so much thanks lewis and thanks everyone for listening take care Bye, bye bye
0: hey everyone thank you so much for listening please don't forget to leave a review and subscribe in all the usual places